This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to the 162nd episode of the Self Work Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Self-work is all about trying to reach people who are interested in psychological and emotional issues or perhaps have been initially diagnosed with depression or anxiety and you're looking for answers or even to those of you who might not darken the door of a therapist or don't think you would, but are just curious enough to want to know a little bit more about what a therapist might have to say. There's so much ignorance about what therapy really is, so maybe self-work will give you a little slice of that reality. Today, we're going to be talking about the difference between narcissism and healthy narcissism. Now, there are big differences, but the word narcissistic is being thrown around so much these days. I thought I'd do my part to keep things clear. I'm going to quote three different experts on the subject, so there's lots of info today, so hang on. As I said, we'll go over the traits of narcissism, which you can listen to episode 122 also, which is on narcissism. We'll contrast that with more healthy narcissism. And I found a really interesting article on the subtle signs of narcissism that you can detect that are really smaller things that might alert you that the person you're attracted to could have some narcissistic issues, those that might not be too pleasant to deal with. Our listener email, which is a regular feature of self-work, is from a mom who's overshared with her oldest daughter about her father's financial issues and now regrets her actions. This happens often when especially an older child is pulled into an adult dynamic, so we'll talk about that. So sit back and relax. I'm so glad you're here, and we're going to talk about narcissism. One morning after I'd begun the blog, which was 2012, so quite a long time ago, my husband and I went out to breakfast. Much to my amazement, right as we sat down, a woman came over. She apologized for interrupting us, but then said, I recognize you from your website, and I just want to say how much I enjoy your work. There wasn't more than a minute's exchange, and she went back to her table. My husband, who's quite sarcastic, looked at me and said, oh no, this will make today unbearable. (laughs) I glared at him while, of course, smiling, and admitted that I enjoyed the kindness of her words. But that kind of attention is something that a narcissist really loves. So does that enjoyment mean I'm narcissistic? I certainly hope not. I'm sure I have my fair share of healthy narcissism, however, which has taken a little bit of a beating at times during the last seven or eight years. In fact, recently, I'll tell you all a funny story. I received one of those speak pipe messages that was only 15 seconds long. That's a voicemail where people can leave me messages that I'll play on the air. So all I heard was a woman's voice say, You know your ebook, Seven Commandments of Good Therapy, which is a giveaway book that if you subscribe to the website, you get. And then all I heard was this pause and then a toilet flushing. I sat there for a second, but I had to start laughing. She was obviously not a fan, especially of that book at least. So today we're going to talk about narcissism and healthy narcissism. Just what is narcissism first? Here's a description. Someone with narcissism has a terribly inflated ego or sense of importance and seems to believe that the world should revolve around them. They can be impatient, critical, and lacking in empathy. 
They can blame you for all problems despite your repeated attempts to prove otherwise and can accuse you of maliciously plotting against them. They think of you more like a possession than a person. They may frequently threaten to cut you off and might even follow through at some point. And perhaps one of the worst things they tend to do is they can make you question your very sanity or logic, tending instead to need to undermine the way you see or remember things. It's called gaslighting, and narcissists do it on a regular basis. When these behaviors are a persistent way of interacting with others, it's termed narcissistic personality disorder. Interestingly, more men have it than women, and we don't really know why. I'll have a reference in the show notes to the actual definition of narcissistic personality disorder. Dr. Dale Archer has an article in Psychology Today. He's the author of several books, one of them being Better Than Normal, How What Makes You Different Can Make You Exceptional. He's fascinated with the case of Jody Arias, who was convicted in 2013 of murdering her boyfriend, then 30-year-old Travis Alexander. He says she's the perfect example of the true narcissist. In fact, during her trial, she tried to argue that Alexander had abused her and that her actions were based on self-defense, but she was found guilty anyway. At no time did she display one sign of remorse for her actions, and still to this day, although in prison for the rest of her life, she shows no remorse. Now I'm quoting Dr. Archer. Craving the spotlight, she demanded to represent herself for the sentencing phase. The judge said no and ordered the trial attorneys to handle it. I suspect she knew this would happen, but wanted the media buzz the controversy would generate. If her lack of remorse in the courtroom didn't scream narcissist, her behavior in prison certainly does. She spends time selling her drawings online, video calling fans, and chatting by phone with others. In fact, He talks about that she's developed some sort of friendship with rapper Lefty Williams. And in this phone call, they're talking about being the most hated people in America. And she says, it's all good. If this is what it's like to be hated, keep hating. I have so much love coming in my direction. I can't respond to it all. And he asks us to think about this for a second. She's embracing the love and hate she got for committing murder. It's not about the crime but rather than the attention the crime generated for her. You can see that she didn't have the capacity for remorse or empathy. Now, some of that could be tied up with what's called sociopathy, but it's also what I would term the hedonism of narcissism. And it can be frightening to be around. I personally have not found that narcissists come into therapy very often because the very act of hearing what they may have great difficulty hearing isn't appealing to them. If they do, they don't stay long, especially if I push for their partners to come in, who would probably give me a far different story. Hopefully you can hear that this goes far deeper than being selfish or self-centered. It's about really ultimate manipulation. And underneath that manipulation is tremendous insecurity, which is very hard to see if you ever see it. That insecurity can look a lot more like rage. So let's talk for a second about more healthy narcissism. What does that term even mean? Again, quoting from another article in Psychology Today by a man named Bob Taibbi, T-A-I-B-B-I. He describes the traits of someone with healthy narcissism. First, they don't worry too much about what others think of them. You know, we all go through our teenage years with most of us caring desperately about what others think of us. 
But part of the gifts of aging is really working this out gradually and becoming much less dependent on that kind of feedback than when we were younger. So someone with healthy narcissism may not care as much about what Joe or Josette thinks about them, but does care an appropriate amount about what people close to them believe. Here I'm quoting Bob Taby. The healthy middle ground here is not caring what most people think of you, but caring a lot about what those close to you think about you. Not in terms of your achievements and garnering praise, but in caring whether they feel respected by you, feel safe enough to be honest, open, and intimate with you, feel that you sincerely care about their well-being. Something else that healthy narcissists do is they don't take things personally. True narcissists are highly sensitive to praise and to perceived slights. Everything is about them. Whereas healthy narcissism is seeing yourself on a spectrum. You have strengths that others may not have, but you also have vulnerabilities that others don't. We all exist on that spectrum. This isn't a better or worse dynamic. The third thing is that healthy narcissists focus on their own values. Here again is the difference. True narcissists are constantly looking to see what impact they're having on others. Healthy narcissists simply live their lives honoring their own values and goals. Using myself as an example again, when I first started blogging, it was so tempting to compare how my Facebook page or whatever was doing with others. Obviously, if I compared it to those that were more popular, I was in deep trouble. So I try to remind myself all the time, and still do actually, why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to honor my own value and my own goals. I've always liked watching swimming for some reason. I'm not a swimmer, but I like watching it because it's intrigued me that they seem to know where the other swimmers are, but they don't ever seem to really look. (laughs) I guess I need to check that out with a swimmer. They probably do look. A fourth trait of healthy narcissism is that a healthy narcissist likes being around other people and learning from them, hearing about their lives, but they don't try to dominate or own the conversation. You probably know someone who can't talk to you about you, but rather makes the conversation about them. Now that's self-centeredness, but in its most extreme, it's true narcissism. And then the last trait is interesting. Healthy narcissists take responsibility for their actions. So, healthy narcissists recognize when they're wrong. They apologize if they are and if they've hurt someone they care about. But they're also not the kind of people who carries that shame around with them. Once a healthy narcissist apologizes and sincerely does apologize, they're ready to move on. I think actually this is the main way that most of us could determine whether or not someone has some narcissistic traits. Do they actually take responsibility for themselves? and show appropriate empathy and compassion. And if they don't, there's a problem. I'll give you probably one of the most dramatic examples that's ever happened to me as a therapist of true self-centeredness and lack of empathy. I'm sure I could think of other things, but this one was really incredible. I was seeing a young woman, and she told me she was dating someone that she'd really like me to meet, sort of assess and help her evaluate. I said, fine, although I don't usually do that, but I can't quite remember the circumstance. There was some reason that it was important. Well, they were coming together that afternoon, and she called me and said, well, I'm sick, so I can't come, but he still wants to. Again, a little doubtful. I said, well... Whatever the circumstance, okay, that's fine. Well, he shows up with another girl. And I looked at him, and I said, 
why are you here and why have you brought someone else? And he said, well, I thought I'd use this session to try to figure out whether I want to date your patient or this girl. (laughs) I looked at him and said, I'm not interested in doing that. You may leave. And since you're not my patient, this is not a confidential conversation. Because he hadn't even walked in my door yet. I contacted her, obviously, and told her what had happened. There was just such entitlement and insensitivity to what her situation might be. In fact, I remember what I said. I said, run like the wind. (laughs) So that was a definite narcissistic bell and whistle. But there are not a lot of those that go off if you meet someone or you're trying to figure out whether or not their seeming belief in themselves is over the top or just assertiveness in action. But Dr. Craig Malkin, again in Psychology Today, gives us some interesting things to think about. He's written a book called Rethinking Narcissism, and he describes these more subtle things that you can see. The first one is projected feelings of insecurity. Now, projection is about having feelings yourself, but you project them onto someone else. Like if you're tired, you might look at your friend and go, are you tired? (laughs) When really, you're tired. Now I'm going to quote Dr. Malkin. Narcissists say and do things, subtle or obvious, that make you feel less smart, less accomplished, less competent. It's as if they're saying, I don't want to feel this insecure and small. Here, you take the feelings. Picture the boss who questions your methods after their own decision derails an important project, or the date who frequently claims not to understand what you've said, even when you've been perfectly clear, or the friend who may give you very faint praise and says things like, you know, you did a pretty good job on that. Maybe you can begin to see that those are more subtle ways of projecting insecurity onto you. The second more subtle sign is what he calls emotion phobia. Basically, narcissists aren't comfortable with feelings. So if you're trying to express an emotion to them, they're going to change the subject. They don't want to seem out of control ever. So if someone rages at you, they may not be a true narcissist who count more on manipulation than rage. Now, I had never actually thought of this. I think this is a fascinating, more subtle sign. He says they'll give you a fragmented family story. What you'll hear from a narcissist or a true narcissist is a very broken-up story about their childhood. Now, there are some deep-seated reasons for this, but they may want their family to kind of seem like a fairy tale, and yet the details don't make sense. I remember a man who repeatedly told his wife how he'd been a star baseball player as a child and was on one of those traveling teams. His parents came to every game, and none of that ended up being true which she found out after she'd been married to him for quite a long time and met, of course, some of his childhood friends. But he kept on with that story. And if memory serves, I believe he did have a fair amount of narcissism. So a fragmented family story means a story that just doesn't seem to add up. This last one is a very interesting one and actually is fairly common known or much more commonly known than others. I've heard it termed, love bombing. But here you go. A true narcissist will tend to idolize you at first, or you'll hear that they idolize someone else. Now, as soon as you or that someone else are human, 
and they find that out, then all hell can break loose as they feel like they've been duped rather than realizing it was their idolizing you that's the problem. Of course, if you've been shamed or you are insecure yourself or needy, that love bombing doesn't alert you to its danger because it can feel like rain after a drought. But if you're being put up on a pedestal, watch it because you're going to come off. Now again, this is different from when we fall in love and we can't wait to be with the other person or we don't think we've ever met anybody more funny or more interesting or more sexy or whatever it is. That's what I call lust love. But that's not the same as love bombing. So you can see that there are some real differences between narcissism and healthy narcissism. Healthy narcissism is actually something you want someone to have that you go for their advice their expertise, you want them to believe in themselves and have good reason for it, of course. But you go for their sense of confidence and competence. And perhaps you could even consider developing some healthy narcissism of your own, trying to not worry so much about what others think of you, not taking things personally, and focusing on your own values, taking responsibility for yourself and enjoying the company of others because you can learn and grow with them. But watch out for those more subtle signs of narcissism. The listener email today is from someone who's been living with her partner for many, many years, and they have a couple of children. But there have been problems in the relationship, and she realizes that she's overstepped and overshared with her oldest daughter. Here we go. My partner and I have been living together for 15 years. We have two children, a 14-year-old boy and a 6-year-old girl. A year ago, I realized that things were never going to get better between the two of us. The main issues are control and manipulation regarding finances. I've taken back control of anything I can financially, but am tied up with him as a result of a couple of credit cards that I let him convince me or manipulate me to get his business started. The reason for my email is regarding the relationship I have with my son. I'm ashamed to admit that over the last year, I've shared many financial details about his father to him in order for him to understand why things are so tense and why we'll eventually separate. Initially, the conversation was just a simple explanation, but it became more of a conversation, and eventually we started discussing him when he made either of us angry. I realized at many points along the way that this was damaging I've tried to put a stop to it, and actually, so has he, because he can see the damage it's doing. I want to undo this, because he loves his dad very much. I've seen a counselor and plan to see her more if possible, and I'm also talking to a trusted friend more frequently, and I know that these things will help that give me other outlets. Do you have any advice or suggestions? So, here's my answer. You made a mistake, and one that's very easy to make, especially with an oldest child. And I hope you're giving yourself credit for recognizing the issues with boundaries. I definitely recommend talking to your therapist about how to reestablish more appropriate ones. And the issue can sometimes be, however, that a child has become accustomed to enjoying a more adult status in the relationship. And when it's taken away, even though he may realize that it's hurting his relationship with his dad, it can feel sort of like a demotion. So if possible... It might be helpful for him to have a few sessions with another therapist, not yours, 
And then you go there with him as he discovers that perhaps he has some anger with you. I'd also recommend looking at what might be anger avoidance in you, talking to your son, for example, instead of confronting your partner, or it could be loneliness or other things. And of course, that trusted friend is a good idea as well. One of the things you don't address is if your partner knows that you've shared information about him with your son. So that's also an issue to decide. Not knowing other circumstances, I can't give an opinion there. It might be dangerous, I don't know, but it's something to consider because it's still a secret between the two of you. But good luck to you. It sounds like your shame has led you to look at your behavior more closely, which is good. And now you can let it go, or at least I hope you can. That's an interesting dynamic, and again, it's called enmeshment when you get too close to a child or you treat a child as if they are an adult. But you can fix it with effort on both parts. I'm so glad you're here at Self Work. Someone asked me the other day, are you still doing that podcast? And I said, yes, and I love it. It adds so much to my life. I hear from so many of you. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretbrotherford.com. It gives me a chance to know who I'm talking with. What problems do you have? What struggles do you have? What strengths do you have? What would you like for me to talk about? And that's really very helpful. You can also go to my website and subscribe at drmargaretbrotherford.com or, of course, subscribe wherever you listen. But if you do it on the website, you'll get my weekly newsletter, which includes a blog post and a podcast. No more, I promise. Maybe a greeting from me or something. But that's it. It's a very easy way to keep in touch with me. I did want to address a comment that a listener made about my Sexless Marriage podcast. She'd been listening to the podcast and was waiting for me to talk about asexuality, and I didn't. I did know about asexuality, which is a state of being where you just don't have sexual feelings. You can get sexually aroused in certain situations, but you don't have the drive or the libido to actually want to have sex. And I should have said something about it, but I was thinking of that podcast as more about how couples create problems in their sexual lives, not individual issues. I didn't talk about lack of libido and depression either, which is different from asexuality. So she sent me a website, which is a wonderful website, and I will put that link in the show notes where you can see it if you're interested. Again, I like constructive criticism as well, as long as it's constructive and you're not flushing a toilet in the background. Those of you who are reading Perfectly Hidden Depression or have read it, my new book that's available on Amazon and everywhere else, please leave me a review. I cannot tell you what a difference that makes. I hate asking in many ways, but I'm also passionate about the message getting out. So it's worth the ask to me. You don't have to be a poet to leave a review. Just say what's in your heart. And of course, reviews on iTunes here at the podcast are also very, very welcome or anywhere else you listen. Thanks so very much. I do have a Facebook group. It's closed. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And all you have to do is answer the questions. I'd love to see you there. I do some Facebook Lives there. I'm involved in discussions. There are people from all over the world. And it's really a thriving group. So I hope you'll join. Again, 
I'm so grateful you were here. Thanks. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.